The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I want to tell you something that was stirring in my heart this morning. Uh, and it was something that I thought, you know, I'm not sure if you, how you would pull that off, how you would do that, but I was thinking about a question, and I want to pose the question to you this morning. And the question was something simple. It was, it was what is the greatest need? And then, of course, you can apply, uh, you know, a, a, a location or a demographic to, to that question. I mean, you could say, what's the greatest need for the city of Abilene. I mean, you could say, what's the greatest need for uh, my life? You could say, what's the greatest need for, you know, my marriage, or what's the greatest need for my, my family? You could just pose that question in any form. But it was an interesting thing to ponder and to think about, what is the greatest need? And, and of course, as I was thinking about it, a, a lot of things began to flood through my mind. I mean, I began to go through different uh, uh, elements of my life. You know, there's people that I work with, uh, there's uh, uh, those that I work alongside with. There's those that we work for, and all of these relationships, all of these part of my parts of my life, excuse me, have areas that have needs. And so, being able to answer that question, I think, is an important thing to be able to answer. Now, I want to say something, and I might be alone in this, and if I am, that's probably a good thing. But I, I remember as I grew up as a, a believer, feeling like it was. Uh, not a good thing for things to have needs. Where, so here's a good example. That sounds goofy to say that. The example may clear it up. But have you ever noticed most, most people's default answer when you ask them how they're doing is, is fine or, or good, right? You might know they're really going through some serious hell, but when you ask them, hey, how you doing, you get this, this answer that is, I'm, I'm fine. And some of that is maybe because they're, they're not really interested in disclosing things. They, they value their privacy. I'm a pretty private guy. But then another element that needs to be considered is, is there a shame or a stigma in acknowledging a need? And what's really amazing to me is throughout the scripture, you see the, the predecessor to the power of God moving or, or what would precede the miraculous would be a, a declaration of need. Somebody crying out to, to Jesus, you know, heal me, save me, deliver me. And, and this declaration of need would actually move things in the direction of, of deliverance or, or healing. I mean, sometimes if the need wasn't even declared, it would be forced to be declared. Like, here's a great example of that. I mean, you'll, you'll see in the scripture uh, Jesus being called before a, a blind man to minister to this blind man and Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, that, that almost seems a little uh, odd, right? I mean, I remember the first time I ever read that, I thought, well, I know Jesus doesn't have like an attitude. So it's not sarcastic. It's, it's not like he's having some kind of a power trip where he's requiring that this person grovel before him before he'll release the power of God into his life. So I have to read that and I ask myself, why? Why would it be necessary for someone to confess their need? 
And I believe wholeheartedly that it is, it's what positions us to receive. So when we consider what our needs are, I think it's important to, to be able to voice those things. Now, when I told you I was wrestling with that this morning, I was thinking of a number of things. And I think it's important going into the message today that we understand the, the need to have our needs met by God. And as I was going through the list of things in my life that I was addressing needs in, they all had a similar answer at the very base or the very root or the very foundation. Now, I don't mean this in any way to be sarcastic or shallow, but if you've ever ministered to children, you'll know that children can keep things very basic or simple. And, and in fact, there's a little bit of a, a children's ministry cheat, and, and I'll share it with you. And that's the answer to everything is Jesus Jesus, you know, you'll ask a question and Jesus, well, that's true. He is the answer to all things. You know? And oftentimes I think we complicate things and, and we tend to do that when the reality is Jesus truly is the answer. So as I was going through this list of things, I was trying to get my answers down to the very base, to the very uh, foundation of what the solution is. And the solution seemed to be a, a, a common thing across the board and it was God's mercy. God's mercy. God's mercy is really at the foundation of absolutely everything that I need to see in my life. And when I look through the scripture and I see the miracles and, and the, the power of God active and moving, not just on display, but into someone's life for the purpose of bringing about deliverance, you'll see God's mercy. It's not under any obligation, yet it's something God chooses to do. What I love about God's mercy is God's mercy is present whether it is earned or, or, or achieved or pursued or not. Now, I know that might strike our ears funny when we think about earn or achieve, but I remember somebody saying something one time that caused me to stop and think. Does God ever owe anyone anything? Well, the answer to that is absolutely not. But I remember a time when somebody gave my wife a gift I mean, it was a, a wonderful gift. It was a very, you know, thoughtful and, and great thing that they had, had done. In fact, it, it, was, it was really kind of shocking, and, and we were just in awe of this display of generosity. And, of course, I'd been taught before, you know, the way that you receive a gift is, is be grateful. You know, we said thank you. And, and when I said thank you, the person that gave that gift to my wife said something, and it just got me thinking. They said, well, she deserves it. And I remember letting that just kind of stir because honestly, when they first said it, it offended my mind. I just thought, well, now, how can that be, you know? And I remember having a conversation with the Holy Spirit about that concept because there was something about what they had said that really stuck with me. And I began to ponder the difference between something being earned and something being given. And it's very possible to deserve or to position oneself for something great from God. In fact, God gives us instruction throughout the scripture in how to position to, to move the kingdom of heaven, how to pray, how to, how to pursue the things of God. And those instructions are meant to be uh, guidelines that help us and lead us and guide us. But at the end, when you have the manifestation of God's goodness, it all comes down to God's mercy. 
So though I could make a, a, a dozen plans for how to pursue God's kingdom or God's goodness in my life, though you could make countless decisions on what to do, where to go, who to speak with, how to function, at the end, the delivery is simply founded upon God's mercy. So I want to give you a few things here as we get into the word, as we pursue what God has for us this morning that we can look forward to. One, who God is. It's important to, to see that God has revealed his identity in a very specific way. Another thing I want to find is why God gives us mercy. Why he gives us mercy in the first place. I mean, there's a lot of different ways in which our lives could be uh, uh, connected to God. He's chosen to be merciful, and, and it's, there's a reason for it. Uh, another thing that we're going to find is why Jesus came. I mean, we're, we're months away from entering into a season where we celebrate the nativity and, and the coming and the fulfillment of prophecy and our, our Savior being born and all of these wonderful things that we celebrate. There's a reason why he came, and we'll see that very clearly in the Scripture. So I, I want to get right into this about who God is, and I'll give you a passage from the Psalm, Psalm 145, verse 8. 145, verse 8, it opens like this, The Lord is... So I want to just stop there and, and emphasize that you, we are about to see God's identity. God is blank. Now that blank is as follows. The Lord is merciful, slow to anger, and great in loving kindness. I take this passage from the Psalms, and, and I think it's important to, to work with it, to understand that one, God is being identified as merciful, and then two, uh, his merciful identity is being described. What does it mean to be merciful? I mean, we say things often, and we can say them very loosely where they just become part of our vocabulary, but we're really lacking an understanding of what that means. Well, based on what we just read here, God being merciful is revealed through slowness to anger and greatness in loving kindness. Being patient and, and being filled with love and kindness uh, toward those around you. Now, we have a call to be like God in this way. I mean, Luke chapter 6, verse 36 is a call for, for you and for me as disciples. Be merciful just as your heavenly Father is merciful. So this is a very interesting crossroads of Scripture. I mean, I have a call on my life to be merciful just like God. Now I'm able to reconcile Am I merciful just like God based on that description? Am I patient with people? And am I filled with love and kindness toward people? Well, I can tell you oftentimes I'm challenged by people. I can feel provoked. I can feel frustrated. I can feel angry. I can feel all kinds of things. And in order for me to function in a godly way in that relationship, I need to see to it that I am merciful. Merciful meaning slow to anger in great and loving kindness. Uh, that doesn't happen very naturally for me. I think it happens naturally for some personalities easier than it does others, but I don't think that it happens naturally 100% for anyone. I think it's important to stop and to, to ask oneself in the midst of a relational conflict or, or a situation where there might be disappointment or frustration. I think it's important to stop and ask, how can I be slow to anger and how can I be filled with or, or great in love and kindness toward this individual. And to stop and to ask that question is really to open the door probably for some direction that may not be uh, desirable in the moment. 
It might not be what you're looking for. Yeah, but I really want to say this. Or yeah, but I really want to do this. When in reality, God is giving a direction that's altogether different. And when we feel that unnatural direction, I think that means that we could very easily be moving in a supernatural uh, uh, way. And I really believe that God is calling us to move in the supernatural in that sense. I, I want to give you a couple of passages of Scripture here because I think they're important. One, we all need mercy. Now, the Bible gives us a, a direction to get it. I mean, if I were to ask the question in this room, no matter what, if we had every chair filled, I have a feeling every hand would go up. Right here, right now, is there any part of your life where you know you need the mercy of God? I mean, I, I can think of, of every area of my life where I need to see the, the mercy of God magnified. Now, the Bible gives us a, a, a formula, so to speak, in, in pursuing mercy. That's why I used words like, like pursued or achieved or something before. When God gives instruction and we follow his instruction, we get his promised results. And in this case, you'll find that formula, so to speak, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, or, or we refer to it as the Beatitudes. If you want to find them, you'll find them in Matthew chapter 5. Specifically, in this case, we'll look at verse 7, where Jesus says that those who, who give mercy will receive mercy. He says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. When I begin to see in my life uh, feeling stressed and feeling strained and the need for God's mercy, I, I tend to pause and ask myself, am I giving mercy? Because I'm obviously in desperate need for mercy. Is this something that is a part of my life? When things don't go right, am I snapping? Am I, am I responding to people harshly? Am I, am I being unmerciful in situations and scenarios where, where mercy is something that is up to me? And if I am doing that, am I willing to change that in order to open up the door, open up the floodgates for mercy to come and, and wash over the areas that I desperately need God's mercy in? So you have here a source of mercy, that being God, and we have here a direction for how to acquire it. I mean, if we want mercy, if we need mercy, we need to be merciful. Jesus has made that very clear. Blessed are, are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, it's interesting to me that that's how it would work. I mean, I think you really have to, to, to have something in order to, to give something. I mean, how can I be merciful if I don't have any mercy to, to give? But yet here in this situation, we see that we need to be merciful in order to get mercy. This is about having our heart come into alignment and agreement with who God is. It's a commitment to do things His way. If we see in Psalm 145.8, like we opened up with, that God is merciful... Therefore, that means slow to anger and filled with love and kindness. It's a willingness to model our life after him. And in short, it's a commitment to do things his way and not our way. And everybody needs mercy. I mean, there's no doubt about it that we all need it. I mean, we've got to have it. Uh, Romans 11.32 talks about the, the reason for, for the law in the first place and all of these things. It says, God has shut up everyone in disobedience so that he may show mercy to all. Every single person is in desperate need of it. And, and there's a wonderful benefit to mercy. I want to give you a passage of scripture here from the book of James, James 2.13. 
Uh, it starts off a little daunting. You almost need like some villain music, you know, dun, dun, dun. It opens up with this, judgment will be merciless. Like that sounds pretty scary, right? Judgment will be merciless uh, to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy will triumph over judgment. I mean, I read this passage of Scripture just in and in, in of itself, by itself here, free from any uh, context before or after, and I see that mercy is absolutely important. I mean, mercy is necessary, and if mercy comes into my life as I show mercy, I need to be showing mercy in order to have mercy flooding in. I, I want to give you a, a passage of Scripture here that I believe shows us why God is merciful. I'll give you the passage. It's out of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. I want to look at verses 4 and 5. I think it's important to kind of see the, the motivation and the driving force behind things. I mean, we could simply talk about mercy and increase our, our Bible IQ by a couple of points and leave out of here and, and, and I'll be better for it. But I, I like to know the mechanics of it. Why? Why is it that God chooses to do this? What is the motive behind mercy? And you'll see it here in Ephesians, Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 4. It reads like this, God being rich in mercy. So you have God being identified as being rich in mercy. And then you see the word because. God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he's loved us. Even when we were dead in our sins, God made us alive together with Christ Jesus. We can take this passage and make it a, a wonderful celebration of God's work through Jesus, our, our deliverance, the washing away of sin and corruption and, and the overcoming of death. And all of those things would be wonderful things to discuss and to talk about. But what I want to emphasize is God being identified as being rich in mercy. And then the reason for that being, as you see the word, because he loves you. So I take this and I understand that, that mercy is caused by love. Mercy may be the effect, but love is the cause. And then when I begin to reconcile that against my own life, I begin to see all of the areas of my life where mercy is lacking, and I have to ask myself, why the deficit of love? Why is love coming up so short in areas where it ought to be so present? whether that be marriage, whether that be family, whether that be uh, the, the work relationships that I'm surrounded by or the business relationships, why is it that mercy can be so absent when love is meant to be or intended to be so present? And it can cause you to begin to evaluate those things. I mean, there's no stronger relationship to reveal love in my life than in my marriage. I mean, my wife and I uh, are in a covenant relationship that is a mirror or a reflection of the gospel itself. And yet, if somebody were to ask me, hey, where is mercy struggling the most in your life? I'd say, well, you know, my wife and I have had some arguments before, or a relationship like that. Uh, church relationships, covenant relationships, where there are, are the body of Christ coming together, celebrating the brotherly kindness that leads to the relationships that ultimately result in the, the fellowship that God has called us to, and yet those being so easily dissolved with uh, disappointments or frustrations or, or uh, individuals uh, having differences that are seemingly irreconcilable. 
The need for mercy is absolutely important, and mercy's motivation will always be love. I want to tell you how it works or or what it actually does when it's introduced based on God's release of mercy toward us. I'll give you a passage of Scripture here from Titus, Titus 3, verse 5. Titus 3, verse 5, it talks about God and His work in your life and in my life. It opens with, He saved us, not on the basis of our deeds, which we've done, but according to His mercy. And now you begin to see what mercy does or how it works. You'll see two things listed here. He saved us, not on the basis of our deeds, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. When mercy is released in our lives, into our lives, you see this washing and you see this regeneration. These are things that we have. We can see these things clearly in our Christianity, being born again, there's regeneration. Then being renewed in our thinking, there's washing. God is cleaning up our thoughts and cleaning up our mind. He's at work doing great things. In fact, the Bible refers to that as as a completion of a work started, the, the completion to perfection of a work that was begun. So I have to ask myself, as I begin to examine my motivations, is there love present that can motivate mercy? And is there mercy released that will result in washing and regeneration? Can I give people an opportunity to try again? Or ultimately, is a score being kept and a game being called? I want to give you the what. We looked at why, we looked at how. I want to give you the what as as far as mercy is concerned. And I want to find that from uh, Peter's writing. 1 Peter chapter 1, I want to look at verses 3 through 6. 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 3. It reads like this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In order to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven, protected by the power of God through faith, for salvation ready to be revealed at a last time. In this you greatly rejoice. It's those opening words that are really needing to be emphasized for the purpose of today's message, that God, through his great mercy, has caused us to be born again. And when we think about born again, it's not just a matter of having another chance or another opportunity. Rather, it's a a fantastic new beginning. Not to carry the same old ways that lead to the same old results, but rather it's an opportunity to begin something from a completely new starting point. When we're born again, the Bible identifies that something fantastic has happened, something absolutely powerful. We become new creatures. Old things pass away and new things come. That's more than just another chance or another opportunity. This is something altogether new. That's the power of mercy. Mercy provides something for us as as believers. Mercy provides something through us when we release mercy into the situations or the circumstances where mercy is necessary. Mercy provides identity. 
I mean, we could talk about identity and its importance. I mean, you can look around in our culture, you can see people struggling for identity. I mean, it almost has become a contest to see how bizarre things can become because people are struggling to be identified. They don't want to just blend in and be a face in the crowd. Rather, they want a personal identification. And we can see that mercy has the power to provide that. Let me give you a passage of scripture to testify as to what I'm talking about, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. It talks about uh, uh, people in general. It says, you were not a people. That means not a, a group. You had no identity whatsoever. But now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The, the presence of mercy is the difference between having no identity, no purpose, and having purpose and identity released clearly in and through our lives. That shows me the importance and the power of mercy. I told you before we're going to find out why God gives us mercy. I mean, there's a reason for that. I want to give you a passage of Scripture here from 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16. It says, For this reason I found mercy. So you have Paul identifying why mercy came into his life. He says that for this reason... Mercy came into my life so that in me, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. God's mercy coming into your life is meant to be the evangelistic tool that draws others to God. I mean, I'm very much qualified to receive God's mercy because I'm in absolute desperate need of it. And the reason why God would put his mercy upon my life is so that I can testify as to his love, his presence, his kindness, and his willingness to fulfill his word as he promised. And when mercy comes in, something great happens. 2 Corinthians 4.1 says, as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. Have you ever been in a situation or a position where you felt uh, hopeless, where you felt as if things were slipping or things were not working as they should, it's, it's a very sick feeling. Maybe you feel a sinking in your stomach or an emptiness in your heart. I mean, it's, a, it's an open door for depression, and it's not a godly thing. In fact, it's something that God ministers to. Remember when Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because one of those causes was to bind up or to heal the brokenhearted. When we're faced with situations where mercy is not present, we can lose heart. But when mercy is present, we cannot lose heart. We can stay engaged and we can keep our courage and our strength. That's one of the reasons why mercy is so important to have in our lives. And it's also one of the reasons why we're called to release mercy through our lives. I want to give you a passage of scripture from Jude. Jude 1, I want to look at verse 18 through 22. And I'll ask this question, and it's a question that's been asked for, for generations, you know. Do you believe that we are living in what the Bible would call the last days? Well, for generations, people have, have believed that, that, yes, indeed we were. And, and, and the truth is, we're moving closer and closer to those days. There's no doubt about that. Every day that takes past moves us closer. But when you read the description of these days, and you contrast it to the days that we currently live in, it would be hard not to think that we are living in these times. Let me give you this, this description here. 
from Jude 1 beginning in verse 18. It says, in the last time there will be. So you can just put dot, dot, dot and make this list and ask yourself, are these things that are present today? In the last time there will be mockers, people following ungodly lusts. There will be uh, divisions. There will be worldly-minded individuals that are void of the Spirit. And then there's this call to contrast those. But you, being the beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, we have this call. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously or anticipating the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And have mercy on those who are doubting. What a powerful call, not just to have mercy, but then to release mercy. Not only just to stay encouraged and anticipate Jesus, even through uh, dark days and difficult days and challenging days, not just to have and to hold in order to remain, but also to have in order to pour out and to give. We're surrounded by those that suffer doubt, those that are in need, those that are in a, a place of potential compromise, and it's the mercy of God in our lives, moving through our lives, that can protect them from compromise. I, I want to give you a, a passage of Scripture here as we, we close, and I, I told you before we're going to find why Jesus came, and I, I want to offer that to you now out of the book of Hebrews. If Jesus came in order to accomplish something, it's worth making a note of. Hebrews chapter 2, I want to look at verses 14 through 18. It opens up with this, this powerful declaration of truth. It's the foundation of the gospel and the results of the gospel. Jesus rendered powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, that he might free those who through fear were subject to slavery all their lives. That slavery is referring to sin. And he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in all the things pertaining to God in order to make propitiation, that means take your place on the cross, for the sins of all people. For since he himself was tempted in all the things with which he suffered, he's able to come to the aid of those who are tempted." When you consider why Jesus came, based on this passage of Scripture, you see very clearly Jesus came and was made in the likeness of men so that, so that he might become merciful. When we walk through our lives and we have all kinds of sufferings or temptations, provocations or anything like that, we can realize that this is a so that moment for me. This is so that mercy can be released. This is not so that I can punch someone in the face. This isn't so that I can flip someone the bird. This isn't so that I can cuss someone out. But this is so that I can be like God and be merciful. This is so that I can pour out what's desperately needed. That which leads to regeneration and renewal. That which leads to life and everything that is the kingdom of God. This is so that I can pour out what I must pour out in order to qualify for what I need. This is so that I can be merciful and therefore be qualified to receive mercy. This is so that I can be like Jesus. 
And I think when we take on that mentality, we open the door to behave in a much more godly way. We can be intentional in doing the things that God has called us to do. I have stumbled onto mercy countless times, accidentally done the right thing. And what I would prefer to do is be intentional and do it on purpose. I want to be merciful in my relationships. I want to be merciful with my children. I want to be merciful with my wife. I want to be merciful with those that I work with. I want to be merciful with those that I worship with. I want to be merciful with those in the world that I disagree with. I want to be merciful with those who provoke me so that I can be like Jesus, so that I can make the provision for what is absolutely necessary and what truly brings solution. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to go full circle and I want to close with the passage that we opened with. Because mercy can just become another word in our vocabulary. And when we opened up the message, we identified that God is merciful and we worked on the description of mercy based on that scripture. That passage from the Psalms The Lord is merciful. Slow to anger and great in love and kindness. When it comes to being merciful in every situation or every circumstance where there's a challenge, where there's a trial, where there's some sort of provocation, merciful is going to be first patient and second kind. Its motivation is always going to be love. So I can take this and I can begin to apply that to my prayer life. And it becomes more than, you know, God, make me to be a merciful man, which is a noble thing to pray. But I can begin to seek those things that mercy is made up of. Father, help me to be patient and, and not be such a hothead. Help me to keep my cool. Teach me. Show me where I fail. Show me the points of hurt or wound or rejection or anger that result in me losing my temper and failing to be like Jesus when I'm called to carry his anointing and expand his kingdom. And then lead me to be kind. Help me to be kind rather than to respond with, with violence or, or, or vengeance or the things that would cut in return for the provocation that would come my way. Let kindness prevail. And then above all, the, the, the key the, 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 is the foundation, which, Father, let your love be present in my life. Your love that's the motivation for mercy. So that mercy would not be something that is unnatural in my life, that is produced artificially for show and for ceremony to simply get from one issue of conflict to the next. But let it be real and genuine and powerful. So that it might bring about the healing that's necessary, the deliverance that's needed to see to it that true growth and true maturity and true life are the result. That washing, that regeneration that is the result of your mercy poured out. I want to pray and I want to ask God for those things for, for us who are present in the room. You're welcome to be in an attitude of, of agreement or, or simply an attitude of receiving, but I want to trust and believe that God is present to do a work in our hearts and in our minds to lead us to be a merciful people. There where you're at, you can simply be in that state of agreement or receiving. Father, we bless your name and we thank you for your word.
Above all else, we thank you for your mercy. That you would open the the, the door. That you would, would make a way for us to receive your goodness, your love, your kindness, all through your patience toward us. Let it not simply be consumed, but let it be reciprocated in our lives. That we would not simply be where your mercy stops and ends, but that your mercy would flow through our lives into those around us. Let us be a people who would be slow to anger. Let there be a patience imparted to each one of us by your Holy Spirit that when provocation would come, we could be slow to react and that we might give opportunity for your Spirit to show us what to do, to tell us what to say, that there might be healing and solution introduced in place of fighting strife and conflict. And let us see and know in new and greater, deeper ways your kindness toward us, that we might mirror your kindness toward others, that we would not wait for kindness to be deserved before we would release it, but let kindness be our default, our response in situation and circumstance where normally provocation would lead to anger. Let kindness become the response of your people. We give you thanks, Father, for your example and the example of our King Jesus. And we ask by your Spirit that we be equipped and enabled with all that we would need to respond in like manner. And let our motives be altered, that it wouldn't be out of religious obligation, that it wouldn't be to escape judgment, but that it would be because we're motivated by love for you and for your people. That which you call precious, let us see it as precious and treat it as such. Let the value of the people around us be so evident to us that we could naturally be supernatural. Kindness, patience, flowing freely from our lives through our words, through our attitudes, through our actions, into the lives of those around us, bringing about a powerful and real result. We surrender our hearts to you. We surrender our minds to you. We surrender every aspect of our being to you, to be equipped with all that we would need to be just like you. We give you thanks, Father, for your promise. We give you thanks for the presence of your Spirit to do this great work in us. And we celebrate your faithfulness as our lives are transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Be honored and glorified as we live out lives, distributing mercy freely as mercy has been given to us. We bless your name and we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. And all the saints declared, Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.